Beller. Good morning as we gather in worship. I got to tell you, I don't know if you know this, but next year is the 60-year anniversary of Bel Air Presbyterian Church. It's our diamond year. How amazing is that? 60 years. That's phenomenal when you think about all that God has done in and through this church family and the stories that God has written through generations leading up to this moment. And as we get into this next year, as you hear more about how we're going to celebrate that, as we'll tell stories of what God has done out of His faithfulness through people here as they were obedient and following Him, we're also going to be talking about this fall, what it means for us in this season, at this time, in this chapter of this church's history to follow Him faithfully. And so I want you to set your calendars. On October 4th, it's the first Sunday in October, we're going to do a seven-week series where we're going to talk about where we're headed as a church. And so if you are part of this church family, whether you're a third grader all the way up to 103 years old, I believe that God has a role for you to play at this season, at this time, as we follow Jesus together. And so starting on that date, October 4th, we're going to have one service at 10 a.m. We're all going to gather in this sanctuary. And if you're with us on Palm Sunday, you know what it's like to gather together for one service. We're going to do that on October 4th. And as we go through those seven weeks, you're going to hear what God has laid upon my heart, our staff's heart, our elders, throughout our leadership, for where we're headed, what we long to see, what the vision of this church is going to be, what our mission is, what our values are, what strategic initiatives we're going to put into place. And so I'm asking you to commit to all seven of those weeks. Now, some of you might say, well, I only come twice a year. That's okay. It's okay. Now you can come seven weeks in a row. But if for some reason you're traveling or you get sick, we have a website. Many of you don't know this. All of our sermons, oh, they, they magically appear on our website, so there's no excuse for you, if this is your church home, not to catch each of those seven weeks. Because at the end of it, we have an opportunity as a church to say, this is the role that I'm going to play. As we stand on the shoulders of giants, the faithful people that have enabled us to be here in this room right now, and for those of us listening online, listen after the fact, this is our moment, this is our time, an opportunity for us to be faithful in following Jesus in this season. And so as we get ready for that, we're going to take a look at four stories in Scripture in September. If you're in the room, you saw that we call it a bumper, it kind of transitions us. It's biblical blockbusters. You can even see up there on the screen. We're taking a look at four gigantic stories in Scripture that really will set the foundation for us, remind us of this amazing God that we serve. That as we get into this new season, we're going to attempt something so big, it's absolutely doomed to fail unless God is in it. And we're going to hear four stories over the next four weeks of stories where God is in the midst of it in amazing ways. Now, as we go to these stories, though, some from the New Testament, some from the Old Testament, this one today is going to be the feeding of the 5,000, as it's commonly known as, but actually Jesus fed a lot more than 5,000 on that day. And as we go to Scripture in a moment, I, I, I do want to say that, you know, when people tell the story of something, they can often tend to give their own unique perspective to it. And so, Outside of Scripture, some of these stories are so massive, so big that, that films have been made from these stories. I mean, you go all the way back and you think of Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments, right? All these stories, these, these biblical stories that have been adapted for the big screen. And as time has gone on, and I know some of you are in Hollywood, but Hollywood, you're getting out of control. 
Because you're kind of taking some artistic licenses, you're kind of up in the ante, and you're kind of adding layer upon layer, and there's even films that came out in this last year, I'm like, that didn't happen. It looks amazing on CGI, but that didn't happen, right? Some of you are like, what does he mean by that? Well, to, to maybe help you if you haven't seen some of these films, I've asked our very own Beller Drama Department, what if, what if, what if, what if Michael Bay, you know the guy that did Transformers and some of those other films, what if, what if he took a, a stab at doing this miracle that we're going to talk about in John 6? What, what angle might he take at it? Often above and beyond what Scripture says. Take a look at this. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fed. There have to be 5,000 hungry people out here. What are you going to do about it? And those are just the men. What about the women and children? I don't have time to worry about the women and the children. We've got hungry men to feed. Whatever we have is yours. Now we have too much food. What are we going to do with all this abundance? We could give it to the women and children. So that, that's what I mean by getting a little, little above and beyond what Scripture says. But thankfully, we have the truth of God's Word here. As we take a look at each of these four stories, what we'll actually do is we'll encounter a God that is actually infinitely more epic than our current technology allows us through film to be able to communicate. You see, we often quickly forget this amazing, mighty God that we serve. So if you have those Bibles, if you're in the room, in front of you, there's a red book. It's our Pew Bible. You can open that up to page 867. This is John chapter 6. If you're joining online or if you have a mobile device and you want to read along with us, we're in the New Revised Standard Version, and it's John chapter 6. And as you turn there, and again, it's on page 867 in your Pew Bible, I want you to know just to set this up that outside of the resurrection, talk about a miracle, outside of the resurrection, this is the only other miracle that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record. There's a lot of miracles that Jesus did. But again, outside of the resurrection, this is the only one that all four of the gospel writers speak to because of its significance. The Apostle Paul says that 500 people saw with their own eyes that Jesus rose from the grave. We believe that at least, at least 15,000 people saw this miracle. So massive it was. So let's take a look at this. This is John chapter 6. I'm going to read for us verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? 
He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy. Here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This, my friends, is God's Word. So I want you to imagine yourself with a massive IMAX screen stretched out before you, and the cinematographer is trying the best they can to, to capture the amount of people that keep following Jesus. I want you to see those people. These people that were following Jesus, they were not yet disciples of Jesus. They, they didn't have it all together. They weren't showing up in their Sunday best. They didn't have ties on. They didn't have their Easter hats on. They hadn't gone through membership. They hadn't yet joined a small group. And as you see these people, I want you to imagine how unique and varied their needs were. Now, with Matthew and Mark and Luke and John all giving different angles on this moment, some of the gospel writers count that there were 5,000 men, which was common in that era to only count the men. John says that there was 5,000 in all. And we know from counting that moment of time and how large families were that it had to have been at least 5,000, perhaps 15,000, perhaps more when you count the men and the women and the children all there. And they've come to see a show. It says here that they've come to see signs. This is a year after Jesus has been in public ministry. This is after John the Baptist has been beheaded. This is two years before Jesus has gone to the cross, and people have come out to see a show. They want to see a sign. This miracle worker, the one who's been doing wonders, what will we see? What will he say? It's kind of like Coachella or Burning Man. If you don't know what that is, think, think Woodstock. People out in the middle of nowhere coming to see a show. That's literally what it was. This wasn't church. They've come to see a show. And imagine that many people out in the middle of nowhere, out in the desert, and they realize there's no vendors. There's no food trucks. Oh, boy, there's no porta-potties. Oh, no. I, I, imagine this. We have the sanitation of Scripture. But imagine when you look at the fullness of what that moment was. Thousands of people in the middle of nowhere coming to see a show, and they realize they've got no food. And if you read throughout that sixth chapter of John, you'll actually see that not only does Jesus meet their, their physical hunger, but later on, and that's read it later, you can read it later, maybe over lunch or as you get home or this evening, you'll see that Jesus actually applies that miracle. After he walks on water, people follow him and he says, you know what, you're looking for all these things, you're looking for food, but I tell you, I'm the bread of life. And he's basically saying that I have come to fulfill every need that you have. 
The physical hunger, the relational hunger, the spiritual hunger, the psychological hunger, the emotional hunger, all the things that you hunger for, that you have need for, Jesus says, I alone am the one who can satisfy that hunger. And we get a glimpse, we get a taste of this Jesus who, and it's so phenomenal because when you look at this text, there's very clear imagery that John is giving. He says, look, as you see Jesus do this miracle, you should think of Moses in the desert. For those of you who don't know that story in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the, the Exodus, maybe some of you picture Charlton Heston, for example, or Prince of Egypt, but there was this moment where God rescued His people from slavery out of Egypt. They're on the way to the Promised Land. They're out in the desert. They have no food. Same situation. They're hungry. They're in the wilderness where nothing grows. They're grumbling. They're complaining. And God provides miraculously manna, this bread from heaven. But the first time around, in God's provision of that bread from heaven, they only get enough for each day. Don't forget that. At the end of the day, they would, they would, they would gather some, they would try to store it for later, but it would spoil. And yet here Jesus does this miraculous sign. And He doesn't just give them their daily bread. He gives them abundance. It says, take a look, open up those Bibles again. Look in verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when He had given thanks, He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. That's the daily bread, but even more than that, when they were satisfied, they had their fill, he met their physical needs to a T, but after that, there was leftovers. And Jesus has come, and you see in John 2 where He shows up to a wedding, and He doesn't just give them wine. He gives them the best wine they've ever tasted. He shows up. He doesn't just feed them. He gives them His super abundance because He is the Lord of the feast. We see this great God who actually gives us immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, the Apostle Paul says. And we get a glimpse of that here. I find it fascinating that, do you know, some of you might know this, some of you who are geeks like me, there are 30,000 species of fish. Consider that for a moment. This creative God that speaks everything into existence, we are trying to catch up to Him because every year 10,000 new species are discovered. We haven't even scratched the surface to understand the absolute creativity of God who speaks and the worlds are made. There's this amazing moment in Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul is praying for the church. He prays that, that, that we would know the, the incomparable greatness of God. And in the Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, listen to what you might hear in the English out of these words. The incomparable greatness that we translate, it's the, the hooperbaron. Uh, let me get this right. I, I forgot it. Hooperbaron, megathos, dunamis. Hooperbaron, megathos, dunamis. The hyperbolistic megaton dynamite of God. It's how Paul is trying. He's, he's, he's searching the limits of human language to describe this, this power that God has. I mean, we live in a world where I imagine many of you, like me, shudder in fear at the power of a nuclear warhead. 
Well, do you know that a nuclear warhead is just a thousandth the power of a hurricane? And yet Psalm 29, the writer uses that imagery and that power to say that actually God sits enthroned above the hurricane, the power of God. You think about a hurricane, well, it's only a billionth, a billionth, the power of a solar flare on the surface of our sun. You know, you learn that in school when there's like an eruption on the sun's surface. That's a billion times more powerful than a hurricane. And Scripture says that God, as He creates all things, uses this imagery that it's as if He, he just scatters stars throughout the cosmos like sand. This is the God that we serve. And not only is God that powerful, super abundant in His absolute richness and His power, but He wants to pour that in and through you so that not only would you know about that, but that you would know it through experience because He wants a freight train of His power to flow through your life and to impact the people around you. You see, there's an all-sufficiency of Christ that we see here, that all these people, they show up, they want a sign, they're hungry in the midst of that, and Jesus provides them way more than they could have ever asked. There's leftovers taken home. But here's the amazing thing, that my message for you today isn't just that God is all-sufficient. That's true. But you need to know that He is actually inviting you to be part of that all-sufficiency. But there's a couple steps that you have to go through to experience that. The first is this. Go back to John 6. This is so key for us as we get into this fall. If you're a visitor here, as you go back to your church communities, you need to know this. Whatever context you find yourself in is part of God's people. But in John chapter 6, in verse 5, when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? Verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Basically, he has the power, just like that, to feed them all. I mean, this is God in the flesh. This is the one who turns water into wine. This is the one who called Lazarus to rise from the dead. He could have easily done that, yet he, he invites his followers to be part of that provision. And so Philip looks around and he says this, verse 7, six months' wages will not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. So this leader, this follower of Jesus, basically says, I don't see how it's going to work. And I love that that's in Scripture. Because frankly, so much of my life, I look at what God is calling me to do, us to do, the church to do, and I, and I, and I frankly say, God, I don't know how that's going to work. And maybe some of you are in a relationship or within your family or in a business or you get news from a doctor, you're still on unemployment, and you look out at this need that you have or a need that somebody that you love has, and you might say, God, I don't know how that's going to work. And Jesus says, yes. That's step one. Philip, you're on the right track. Belair, Drew, you, you're on the right track. And it's so hard for us, especially in the West, especially in America, especially in 2015, to actually verbalize, I don't know how it's going to work. Because so much of our culture, so much of what we've been trained to do is to say, 
I've got it covered. I know how to do this. I have the resources. And whenever we think that we have the resources, whenever we think that we are sufficient to meet other people's needs, our own needs, we actually miss out on that Hooper Bear Omega Thoughts dunamis power of God that He wants to pour in and through you. And some of you, you're here and you want to experience the power of God in your life. And you haven't yet. Well, may I suggest the reason why is because you think that you have the sufficiency in yourself, the resources in yourself to accomplish whatever you need to in life. And it's not until you get to a place where you say, you know what, I don't, I don't see how this is going to work. I'm reaching in my back pocket. I don't have the resources to meet that person's need, to find fulfillment in life, to get that job. You see, once you get to that place of, I am insufficient in myself, Jesus is great, you have to start there. But Jesus, like a surgeon, doesn't just cut you open and then leave a hole in you. He cuts you open so that he can do a work and a transformation to get you beyond where you are to a place you've never been before. So not only do you need to recognize that, yes, you don't have the resources in yourself, you are insufficient yourself, but to get to the next point to say, what little you have, the insufficiency that you have, if you place that into the all-sufficient hands of Jesus Christ, he will multiply it far beyond what you could ever imagine. Why would I say that? Look at Scripture. Open those Bibles back up. Verse 8, one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said to him, here's a boy, he has five barley loaves and two fish. Now let me tell you about the insufficiency of that. First of all, there's thousands of people, okay? I don't even need to go into the math. Five bread, two fish, of course. But what you might not know is barley, in the first century, at that point in the world, was the grain of the poor. So not only in a culture that focused on adults, even more than that focused on men, a child has five loaves of bread made from the poorest grain that there is. It's not just five loaves. Don't think of Wood Ranch, the nice rolls that they have. Don't think of LA Country Club and the, the variety. Of, don't, don't think of Huckleberry down in Santa Monica and they break, bake their fresh bread. Don't think of, of anything modern. But think of five biscuits. And when you think of the fish, don't think of halibut. Don't think of wine-caught salmon. Don't think of, a, you know, branzino. Don't, don't think of anything like that. This is perhaps little tilapia, sardines, one of the 30,000 species of fish that Jesus created as part of the triune Godhead of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And so this insufficient thing is brought forward. And that's the, that's the second part that you, you can't miss. Because maybe some of you, you need to hear, you know what, you're insufficient. Because you have an ego that says, I've got it all together. But some of you, you need to hear that your insufficient thing that you have, if you put it into the hands of Christ, it is multiplied far beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. Because some of you, you might be in a scenario where you might think, Okay, I want to help other people. I want to be obedient to what God is calling me to do, to, to, to carry somebody else's burdens, to listen to somebody, to, to minister to somebody. But, but what do I have to offer? What do I have to give? And so often we don't give anything, not because we don't love the people around us, but because we carry this insecurity that what we have to give is not enough. 
where we might say, I don't see how fill in the blank is actually going to help them out because the need is so great, it's so massive. But do you think for a moment that when that child was brought forward by one of the disciples with five biscuits of barley and two small fish, and when Jesus says, sit down, give that to me, do you think that that child or anybody there knew what Jesus was about to do? Absolutely not. Jesus didn't. And I love this. It says in verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves. There was a transaction it left the insufficient hands of that child and went into the all-sufficient hands of Christ. And Jesus multiplied that so that everybody was satisfied. A feast in the middle of the wilderness and there were leftovers. Let me give you three very practical examples of what this could look like. Maybe some of you, as you go throughout life, perhaps even this week, perhaps even today, this afternoon, you'll encounter somebody out on the street and you'll, you'll know right from the get-go, they're homeless. And maybe that situation, you don't feel like you have the resources to help them. You might say, well, I mean, what, what can I do? What can I give? I mean, gosh, I don't even know. It's just, it's complicated. There's a systems thing and all these things. I have no idea what brought them there and who knows what they'll use with money. But maybe let's say you just say, I'm insufficient. Good, first step. Now, what kind of insufficiency can you put into the hands of Christ? And you might say, you know, I forgot my wallet. I don't have any money. And I'm late to a lunch meeting. But what, you know what you do have, every single one of you, is you have a smile. Now, some of you, you hate your smile. You don't smile in pictures. You don't smile in the mirror. We'll call it an insufficient smile. And some of you, you love your smile. You paid a lot of money for that smile, right? <laughs> or your parents did with orthodontics growing up, you know. But even then, you're like, a smile, come on. What's a smile going to do to somebody in need who's homeless? Come on, don't waste my time. Oh, really? You take the insufficiency of that smile and you get down to their level and you look them in the eye and you ask them their name. You treat them like a person made in the image of God should be treated. You ask how you can pray for them. You have no idea how God will multiply that smile in that person's life. You have no idea. That's not for you to limit. You just take that insufficient smile and you put it in the, in the all-sufficient hands of Christ and see what He does with it. Maybe some of you, there's people in your life. Maybe it's somebody you know here, somebody you don't know here, but maybe at work or in your neighborhood. And they're going through something heavy and you're thinking, okay, I'm not a therapist. I've never been through that scenario. What can I give? I, I don't feel like there's anything I can give. Good. First, first step, great. You're insufficient. Yes. But Jesus wants to take you the next step and says, what insufficient thing can you put into my hands that I can multiply? Out of obedience, Jesus invites us to bear one another's burdens. So maybe it's simply your presence. You don't have the degree, you don't have the, 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 the 
private practice, but you have your presence and you can actually call that person up and just say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but can we just get together for coffee? And you give your insufficient presence into the hands of Christ. Who knows what he's going to do? I guarantee you it's going to be far more multiplied than you could ever ask or imagine. You see, we, we use addition. Jesus uses multiplication. But now some of you, you might be here and you might say, well, I have those needs. And I've been part of this community for a while. There's people not stepping into my life. They're not, they're not giving me their time. They're not giving me their presence. They're not giving me their smile. So has God forgotten me? Let me tell you this. If you're going through something right now and you have those needs, God sees it. And don't let the insecurities of the people around you who think that whatever reason that they have nothing to offer or they've overlooked your need, don't let them missing out cause you to believe that God doesn't see exactly what you're going through. I often believe that though this is recorded in Scripture, I imagine that there were many moments before that where thousands of people showed up to see a miracle from Jesus. Think about it. This was a year after the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus. And I imagine there were many other opportunities where people showed up and there wasn't food. And I wonder if there was another opportunity where Jesus says, okay, what are we going to do? And nobody brings forward their insufficiency. And Jesus, I don't know, I don't know. I want to ask him this when I'm in heaven. But I do know this, that for the first time we see this in John 6, that two things come together. The insufficiency of a child's gift and the sufficiency of Christ and people's needs are met far beyond what they could ever ask or imagine as we step into this new season at Bel Air. As we talk about some of the things that I believe God has laid on my heart, you're going to hear the things and you're like, that is impossible. How, I don't know. I, how, how are we going to do that, Drew? I'm saying the same thing. I don't know. <laughs> but I do know this. Then we start from a place of saying we can't do it on our own strength. But what we do have, the little that we do have, our time, our talents, our treasure, we're going to put it into the all-sufficient hands of Christ and let's see what he does with it. So, Belair, as we step into this season, not only do we serve a God that is all-sufficient, but he invites you to be part of what he's doing in this church, in this city, in our neighborhoods, and around the world. And I really believe that as we enter this next 60 years, unless Jesus comes back sooner, as we are faithful in the same way that people have been faithful before us, that we're going to look ahead in the future and say, Jesus, we have no idea what you're going to do, but we're going to give our insufficiency to you and be amazed like these people were at what you did from it. So my prayer for you is that this week that you would pray this prayer. God, here are my measly loaves of fish. <laughs> Make a feast out of it. Let's pray. God, there is a hunger that we experience as we go throughout this life, not only physically that reminds us of our dependence upon food, but there's a relational poverty and hunger emotionally and financially and even just feeling like we have meaning in life. Jesus, may you remind us now by the power of your spirit that you are the bread of life, that when we turn to you with empty hands of faith, insufficient hands of faith, when we trust in you that you, Jesus, satisfy our every need. 
And God, I know and I thank you that you have the long view, that you don't snap your fingers and have it all wrap up in one day, but you want to take us on a journey of not only meeting our needs, but inviting us to be part of meeting the needs of those around us. So may we, in our insufficiency, give it all to you and expectantly marvel at what you will do with it. Jesus, it's in your all-sufficient name we pray. We say together, amen.